Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, hosted by two entrepreneurs, Chris Beoso and Armando Pantoja. Tune in to learn more about entrepreneurship, investing, and business. All right, what's going on, Latin Wealth family? Welcome to another episode to the Latin Wealth Podcast. And this is your first time tuning into the podcast. Welcome and join the family. Um, we have another phenomenal guest on the podcast today. Unfortunately, Armando is not going to be available because he is currently traveling, but it's all good. We're still going to have a phenomenal conversation. Um, it's going to be very fruitful, and I think you guys are going to get a lot of value from it as well. So like I said, we have a guest on the podcast today. And a little bit about my guest. He is the co-owner of Elite Orthotherapy and Sports Medicine, um, works mainly with MMA and UFC fighters. Um, he is a chiropractor. Um, he's also a very, very educated man. All right. He got three bachelor's degree, one master's and three doctoral degrees. Hopefully I got all that right. Uh, but you guys probably know him from YouTube as the YouTube famous chiropractor with over 1 million subscribers on YouTube. Um, I think he has over 300,000 on Instagram. I think over 400 on TikTok. Anyways, he's all over the internet. Um, welcome, Dr. Bo Hightower. How are you doing? I appreciate it, man. Thank you. I don't know if I can live up to that introduction, but I'll do my best. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I thank you for, for jumping on this podcast. And what I, I wanted to ask, you know, before we get into your story and whatnot, you know, I'm sure you've been on other podcasts where they introduce you. Um, how does it feel to hear all those accomplishments and everything that you've done, um, all the education, you know, the YouTube and whatnot? How does it feel? If you ever just sit back and like, yo, I, I accomplished a lot. Like I've done a lot. How does that feel? Uh, not really, man. Honestly, uh, you know, I, we have a phrase around here. It's like every time you do something great, take a moment, pause, be in the moment, appreciate all that you've done, and then just keep going because the show must go on. Mm. And what and what drives you to continue to pursue more? And because when I hear all that, I think of one word. I think of excellence, right? Um, what pushes you to, to go after more and do more and just to continue to, to stay at it? Yeah, I mean, we only have this one life to live. And to me, it's like, if you're not progressing, then you're regressing. And so there's a mm. constant desire to do more, do better, challenge yourself in more ways um, and do it in a way where you can lift others up too. So that's something that I'm always trying to do. What's the next challenge? And you know, every single challenge in our life is an opportunity to accomplish something. And for me, creating those kind of challenges and then finding the right balance for my personal life and, you know, making sure my wife is happy too. That's, mm -hmm. that's really the game, you know, just uh, challenging ourselves. We only have a short, you know, 80, 85 years here. Mm -hmm. um, so really it's kind of a race. It's like, who can, who can enjoy their life the most, who can accomplish the most and who can help the most amount of people in that time. I love that. And you said something key right there. You said balance. Now, do you believe in balance? A lot of people I speak to, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a YouTube yourself, it's, it's hard to find. And as a married man, it's hard to find balance. Um, how do you balance your life? Do you believe in it? Talk to us about that. Oh, I a hundred percent believe in it. And, and listen, I think there's a time, a time for each part, right? Like we have mm -hmm. to acknowledge our age and, and where we are in our life. And, you know, there's, there's almost like a continuum, right? Like when you're really young, you have unlimited energy, unlimited time, but you don't have any money. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when you get older, a lot of times you have money, uh, you have time, but you have no energy to do anything about it. And then in the middle, you sort of have a balance, but you probably have zero time. You may have kids, you may be running a lot of businesses. So I think there's a time and a place for all of these things and, 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 a, and making sure that you're recognizing where your body is, where your family is, is like super important. So when I was in my 20s, it definitely was just burn it out, burn it out, mm -hmm. you know, outwork other people sleep less, do more, get ahead of everybody else. That way I can kind of coast down the final stretch of the race. And mm -hmm. now that I'm, you know, I just, I just turned 38. So, you know, I've, I've owned my own business for 12 years now. Um, I can really take my foot off the gas pedal. And it's funny, I'll make more money now doing one tenth of what I did before because I put in all that work on the front end. And I know that my body can't maintain that pace. I can't drink that much caffeine. I can't go on less sleep. You know, otherwise I'm going to have health conditions and then I'm spending all my money trying to get healthy or, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm destroying my relationships in my life and getting divorced and costing myself half of my wealth there. Yeah. You know, so you have to be able to balance those things. And I'm moving into that, that, you know, more efficient phase in my life as I approach 40. Mm, I love that. Um, one other thing before we get into your background, 
why so many different types of education? I mean, you are extremely educated. It's very impressive to me. You know, let's be honest. Most people would tap out after their first bachelor's degree. And that's not a knock. You know, I got my bachelor's degree and that was it. But was it, uh, did you have to get it? Or did you just feel the, the need to pursue more education? Were you hungry for more? What was it that kept you going to get all these different degrees? Yeah. And to be frank, you know, we all have our gifts in life. And one thing that I like to try to talk to people about is like, most of us are really experts or good at maybe two or three things, honestly. Mm-hmm. Now, we might be okay at four or five others. We sort of suck at everything else. You know, like mm-hmm. I can't pick a guitar, you know, I can't sing a lick, you know, I'm, I'm okay at basketball, but I'm also okay. 5'11". So, uh, but one thing that I've always been really good at is taking tests. So mm. really leaning into something that is just a talent, like taking tests is easy for me. So school mm. didn't require the amount of energy that it did some of my colleagues. So I didn't have to study as much. I could spend my time going out and networking. I mean, when I was in grad school, I worked as a club promoter, um, working on my social skills and developing that knack and developing public speaking because I didn't have to spend as much time and energy studying as they did, which again, Mm -hmm. puts me ahead of the pace. So it's not that like I worked that much harder or I'm more dedicated. It just so happened that education is fairly easy for me and I'm a curious person. And and, um, Mm -hmm. for me, it's like, Everything that I learned exposed more holes in what I didn't know. And so then what I did is I went out searching for that, that weakness and trying to fill that hole. Um, and that's just constant with life. You'll never, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know much about anything. And then you've got to accept that at some point. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Like you said, you said it perfectly. The more you the learn, the more you learn, the more you, you take yourself to new levels. It's like, wow, I, I really don't know anything, right? There's so much out there. Uh, but no, that's awesome. I love that you said that. Now take us back to your childhood. Um, and you as a young child, talk to us about you growing up. Where did you grow up at? Was entrepreneurship in your family? Um, were your parents or family heavily educated? Where did all this come from? Where did it start? Yeah. So a mix of both, you know, uh, so I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, born and raised here. In fact, I'm about two minutes away from the hospital. I was born. Um, Uh And then my mom's side of my family has been in this area since the early 1600s. So, you know, uh, we're, I guess you call us Nuevo Mexicanos or Hispanos. So we Mm -hmm. are the light, light skinned Spanish descendants with Pueblo Indian uh, Mm -hmm. blood within us um, that were culturally isolated from other groups. So there's a few groups of those in the Southwest, mostly in uh, Southern Colorado and Northern New Mexico was one, there was one in California and then you have Tejanos in Texas too that were culturally isolated for a hundred years from the rest of Latin America and America. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a little different culture. It's, a, it's an interesting dialect. It's uh, interesting culturally. Um, you know, there's a lot of, just with any Latino culture, there's a lot of infighting about which group is the best or not, or who has the best yeah. empanadas. Um, <laughs> That's funny. But mostly why, ranchers why, and things like out here. I, I'm sorry to cut you off. Why were they isolated? I'm curious. So if you think about where the Spanish Empire, you know, before 1821, when, when you have the Mexican Revolution mm-hmm. take, take place, uh, the Rio Grande is not navigable. So you can't really take ships up to Santa Fe, to Española, places like that. So really, El Paso was sort of the, the boonies, the, the end of the territory. This is before mm-hmm. the railroads obviously come in, right? And so really, it was a lot of, and, and really, a lot of the original people may have even been Jewish descendants of the Spanish Inquisition trying to escape. The Spanish Empire and, and taking out of their names, but basically what they did is they they went and settled about as far away as you could, and so they were part of you know Coronado's original you know mm-hmm. exploration party. So they would have to basically traverse the entire desert, you know, along a river that isn't isn't you know despite the name the Rio Grande isn't that big, and um, they they went all the way north through inhospitable territory uh, to found Española in fifteen I think fifteen ninety eight and Santa Fe in sixteen ten. And a lot of them were Spanish missionaries as well. And so they're just, you know, you have the Camino Real and there just wasn't a lot of trade back and forth. You just had to go by horse. Mm. And uh, so those, those ranchers were very, very isolated. I mean, if El Paso is the end, is that, that's the boonies, then Northern New Mexico, Southern Colorado is, is no man's land. It might as well be in okay. dark. Wow. That's crazy. So um, your family has been there since uh, the 1600s, which is incredible that you know that. Um, talk to us about you growing up in that area and whatnot. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I have a little bit of a mix. So my, uh, so my, my parents didn't graduate college. They did go to college for a little bit, 
uh, they are entrepreneurs. So my dad decided, and he's just gifted. Like he decided I'm going to build houses and my mm -hmm. mom was there to like help him with it. And so he just decided I'm going to learn architecture and like with no formal education, he just started building houses and, um, you know, was very successful at it. And uh, so I got to, to experience that. My parents owned uh, self-service car washes. They eventually uh, bought a trailer park. And um, so I really got to learn a lot about what small business owners go through, you know, what you're doing on the weekends when other people are hanging out. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just sort of shaped my view of the world. Like one of the, re one of the things that's interesting is like, I don't think I've taken a single vacation as an adult, like where I wasn't mm -hmm. also working. And that's directly from my parents. You know, we never took vacations. We would travel for sports. Um, and that's really it. So when I have free time, I want to stay at home because I, mm. I travel so much for work. I don't want to go somewhere and spend money on travel and spend money on a hotel and spend money on food because I am somebody that focuses a lot on, on financial uh, literacy. I, you know, to mm. me, that's plus opportunity costs. I'm dumping four or five grand. And how am I going to relax knowing that I'm losing $5,000? Mm. <laughs> so for me to relax is, you know, have my house to be very nice, have my neighborhood to be very nice, have great views. And what I like to do is spend time at home with my dogs and my wife, but we'll just sit out on the porch and, you know, check out the beautiful mountain scenery. Mm -hmm. um, so that definitely influenced the way I view things that I think the average person looks at, like travel and, mm -hmm. you know, clothes. And, and it's funny, um, you know, we just, did a, we just did a collaboration with the Island Boys. And they were, yeah, uh, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, they were, they were, they were befuddled that I don't want a Rolex. Um, mm, I think I've seen they that. They were just yeah. like, like their brain couldn't comprehend that I don't want one, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I don't wear watches at all. I mean, it's to me, it's 2021. If I'm going to go to a, you know, a gala or something and I'm going to wear a nice suit, I have watches, but mm -hmm. I, I wear them so infrequently. To me, it doesn't work with my image. I, I don't like the way a watch feels. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even wear branded clothes. I wear black t-shirts and black scrubs. And mm -hmm. frankly, you're going to have to pay me to wear your brand. Yeah. So unless Rolex is going to pay me to wear it, I'm not going to go out there and, and represent Rolex's brand, you know, unless they're going to pay me for it. So mm -hmm. that's just how I feel about my brand. Like I, I'm not going to, I don't need to flex myself by using other people's brands. You know, I'm not mm -hmm. going to go, Hey, look at my Pepsi or whatever. I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah. you know, somebody who owns a brand, I'm not really looking to promote other brands like that. And that was very interesting to hear that. And, um, you know, my family, I think is, is very similar. The one, the one vice they have is like nice SUVs. Mm. Um, but for me, I don't, I don't do any of that either. I want to keep my wealth, you know, pretty tight to the chest. So I don't make myself a victim. So I don't mm. get robbed. And then also, you know, I, I have employees. The more I'm flexing, the more they're like, why isn't this guy paying me more? Right. right. That's a great point. You know, you're building a lot of uh, potential animosity amongst your staff, your team members. It's human nature. Like they're going to act that way. You know, so I, I drive a beat up old 2012 truck. Uh, it's paid off. It's got cloth seats. You know, if somebody wants to steal it, they can. It's probably got more body damage on it than than it's worth. Um, you know, and obviously I'm a, I'm a mm -hmm. multimillionaire. Mm -hmm. uh, but like to me, what I'm trying to do is make my money work for me. And those mm -hmm. kind of ways, I, I understand that a lot of watches can gain value, but I'm looking to invest. I'm looking to open a new business. I'm open a lo new location with money. I'm looking to invest in crypto. I'm looking to invest in stocks. You know, mm, once it. you get money, you know, as, as you know, and your guests have told you, the first hundred thousand is the hardest, then, then, then the million. And the reason why is because now you're making your money work for you. And mm -hmm. if, you, if you're new into money and you just came into it and you're spending it on things like depreciating assets, like cars and, and clothes and things like that, it's going to be a lot harder to reach your second milestone. Um, so yeah, and, and my dad's, parents also became entrepreneurs later in life, like in the fifties, mm -hmm. um, they decided they were going to open a carpet store. I, God knows why I have no idea what, what brought that about. He used to be a, uh, an insurance salesman, but he was really successful. They ended up selling their carpet company, I think for like $12 million at age 55. So he was able to retire. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in a wealthier part of Albuquerque as a result of my parents' success. Um, a wealthier part of Albuquerque, though, is really middle to middle lower class in, say, Miami or Dallas or L.A. Mm -hmm. So I still went to Albuquerque public so schools, which are, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit rough, but a, a nicer public school here. Um, so luckily, I wasn't, you know, involved in shenanigans as a kid. I was pretty involved mm -hmm. in sports. So I, you know, I didn't I didn't have gang activity around me. I was mm -hmm. lucky from that sense that I was sort of sheltered and protected from that. Um, That's a blessing.
Yeah, absolutely. And, and really like some people will be like, well, how'd you do this? How'd you do this? And I'm like, listen, man, my parents like did pretty well for themselves. Even to this day, I still have all four of my grandparents. My parents are still together. Uh, my brother is successful. It would honestly be like an insult to my family if I wasn't successful with all the opportunities mm -hmm. they gave, honestly. Mm -hmm. I see people that didn't have any of those things that can come up and be successful. And for me, it, like, it would be an insult almost to spit in their face if I didn't take that and run with it and become successful. And I really view it that way. Mm, I love that. And do you, do you have kids by any chance? I don't. We're in negotiations still. Okay. Okay. Uh, no. Okay. I, mean, I, I was just going to ask, you know, what, I mean, if, if you do have kids with all the success that you do have in the education, um, it's almost like what you just said, it, it can be a slap in the face to you if you don't at least graduate high school or at least get your college uh, a degree or something, you know, start a business or whatever it is. Um, and I love that in your family because you guys really set that standard high that this is what we expect in the family. We expect y'all to invest, work hard, um, and, and obviously help each other out. So I love that. You know, that's something that we're definitely always teaching on the podcast is, is setting that, that bar higher in your family that, look, this is what we should strive after for. We shouldn't just settle for less and settle for what society says we should have, right? Well, and, you know, you'll hear a lot of people talk about like the third generation loses family wealth. And one yeah. thing that's been great for all of us is that even though our grandparents and our parents have had money, uh, they were very aware. Now, my grand, both my grandfathers, you know, growing up in the 30s and 40s, they were homeless for periods of time. They lived in tents. They, you know, my, my white grandfather picked cotton in Texas. You know, he had to drop out of school to pick cotton to help his family survive, you know. Um, so they're definitely afraid of having spoiled children and spoiled yeah. grandchildren uh, because they know that's what happens when people are successful. And they say the third generation blows it all because all they know is wealth. They don't know what it's like to struggle. They don't even have that, that thought process through them. And they'll ruin the family reputation and they'll, they'll ruin the family business. And, you know, luckily for me, you know, my, my parents, while giving me lots of opportunities, never gave me a dollar for anything else. And I would never want that because I have a lot of pride in myself, right? Like I would rather be homeless and ask for money for my family. You know, I'll, I'll clean windows. I'll, I'll do something, man. I can flip burgers. I can work. I got energy, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and they feel the same way. Like when we go out to dinner, like me and my, like, like I said, my grandfather's still alive. Him and me and my dad were like fighting since we get into the restaurant. <laughs> he was going right. to pay, you know, the game, yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. like, no, I mean, the poor waiters like getting pulled every direction from when we walk in. Um, so it's just one of those things of, like having a pride in yourself as a, as a provider, mm -hmm. as a man, as somebody who can stand on his own two feet that doesn't need handouts from the government, that doesn't need help. Um, you know, I, I don't have any doubts of my ability to work or, or mm -hmm. to you know, take accountability for my actions. And no matter what it takes, I will figure it out. I've always figured it out. If you took everything away from me, I could do it again. I've learned the mm -hmm. lessons um, and I could teach other people to do it too. So um, I don't want help from anybody else because nothing in life is free. If you get something, mm -hmm. something is owed, right? whether yep. it's a favor, whether it's something is owed. And uh, to know that it's yours and it's on your own two feet and your wife or your, your husband or your spouse can respect you and know that you put it on the line for them, uh, that's priceless to me. Mm, absolutely. Does your dad still work? Yeah, he does. I, the reason why I asked that, because I'm like, this, this is a hardworking man. And, you know, these people, they just never stop working. Like my grandfather, he's, he's always doing some type of work somewhere. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm trying to, you know, he, he, yeah. like I said, he builds houses and, you know, it's hard for the labor market right now. You know, the, you know, typically standard Americans don't want to work like immigrants do. Right. So it's almost mm -hmm. impossible to get born, born and raised Americans to do any sort of manual labor. Doesn't matter the race. So we, we, you know, being near the border, we do rely on a lot of Mexican and, and Central American migrants to be able to work because they're willing to work. Yeah, and, uh, you know, given the current situation with the with the virus and, and travel restrictions, it's really hard to, to find mm -hmm. work. So my dad goes, OK, I'll do it myself. And he's beat his body up working construction over the years. I mean, he's 64. And, you know, he'll, he'll be like, hey, can you work on my shoulder? And the next thing I know, he's carrying, you know, 10 doors through a house by himself because he's just he's got pride, too. He's not going to ask for help. He's not going to try to spend money to have somebody else come in. So then I got to bring him back. I'm like, mm -hmm. dad, if you have to have surgery on your shoulder. What's it going to cost you versus just paying some college kids to come move some stuff for you? So mm -hmm. I got to like try to talk some sense because yeah. again, I, I'm, I'm, he's a little more old school, obviously, than me, even more frugal. I'm the type that will invest in something if I know that I'm going to get more out of it. It doesn't have to be double. It doesn't have to be triple. It mm -hmm. just needs more. So that's trying right. to explain that cost, you know, to him in that sense. 
because our bodies don't last forever, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've got to, you know, if you don't have your health, I mean, all the wealth in the world is irrelevant, right? So you have to strike that balance. It's super important. Yeah. And sometimes, um, you know, the old school, they, they don't necessarily, in my opinion, maybe they don't value time as much. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. The reason why I say that is because um, maybe your dad could invest in a, a high school student or a college student to do the work for him and he can have his time back to hang out with his grandkids or his son or his wife or whatever. Um, but it seems like they would rather, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like they would rather just do it themselves opposed to outsourcing it to somebody else and you can yeah. have your time. Well, I think there's a, I think there's something to that pride thing we talked about from previous yeah. generations. I mean, uh, all of those men born in the thirties and forties, doesn't matter where they're from. They're hard, man. They're all hard. Yeah, yeah. They're all salty. They don't, they don't complain. They don't, you know, they don't want help. I mean, they grew up in a hard time. You know, they grew up mm-hmm. in a very poor time. Um, and, th- and I'm speaking about Americans. I mean, people of yeah. men are still that way in other countries where things are harder, Absolutely. but you know, my, my dad's generation and younger, you know, the boomers aren't, eh, my dad is, he just happens to be wired that way, but it's not normal. Mm-hmm. I think for the boomers to work like that, to, to have pride and say, I don't want any help. I could do it myself. And then, you know, my generation and, and yours younger than me is even worse. And when we say time, how much are people really utilizing their time? Are they just scrolling TikTok? Are they watching mm-hmm. seasons of Netflix? Because you have to ask yourself, is that really time? What you said is important. Spending time with family, reading, growing on yourself, meditating, going to church. Mm-hmm. That's a good use of time. But if you're outsourcing mm-hmm. it for times so you can just waste, that's a, that's a loss. That's a loss mm-hmm. of money. And I think our generation just dumps time on TikTok, Instagram, just, just chasing the dopamine high. And so... While he may not be right because he's not willing to outsource for that time, you said our perception of time is probably not exactly right either. Mm. And maybe maybe the generation, the Gen Xers have a little more right because they didn't grow up with this technology. But that's good. You know, there's probably a, a sweet spot in between mm. those two. Um, you know, it's going to be different for every individual person. But it's, it's it is interesting watching uh, the generations and how they they utilize time. And although I have to say, like the boomers, what do they do? They sit there and watch like cable so they're going to sit through 21 minutes of or whatever nine minutes of ads every 30 minutes you know talk about wasting wasting time crazy crazy you know so every generation wastes time i suppose in their own way um and time is really what are we working for right it's time like the Mm -hmm. only thing we can't get back we can earn more money but you can never get your time back absolutely i love that so uh you grew up very hardworking, very educated you know, you start your own business, you do, you do things, um, I say the, the longer route, and you come across social media, YouTube, and you're posting on there. And then all of a sudden, your platform's blowing up. And you're noticing people are making a lot of money on these platforms. Talk to us about that perspective where, you know, again, you grew up hard work, and you grew up, um, and you got your formal education. Now you're seeing people that are, making similar amount of money, you know, doing it in a lot less time, you know, it, it's just, it, it's got to be crazy to you. I mean, you see the Island boys, I don't know how much money they make, but you see influencers coming all the time. And um, it's just a new generation that we're in. And I'm curious to get your perspective on it. I would say, listen, don't knock the hustle. If you can do it, yeah. cash in while you can, you know, but don't go out there thinking that every single person is going to do that. I mean, it's such a rarity. You know, I, I think I was reading somewhere that making more than 50 grand a year on YouTube is more rare than making it to the NBA. It's like statistically. Really? Yeah. Like it's an, it's an incredibly rare That's interesting. feat. And it may, it may be, it may be the NFL, one of those ones, but like, and that would be assuming you played football probably too, not the general mm-hmm. population, but on an average high school football player as a making it to the NFL is less, less of a chance than a YouTuber making 50 grand a year or sustainable income from YouTube. So wow. it's, it's rare. It's actually statistically rare for that. You just see the successes. You don't see all the failures. Mm-hmm. So there's sure. a bias that makes everybody think that they can do it and they can, but they have to push the right buttons and they can't quit. So it's funny for me, you know, a little boomerish of me. I remember maybe seven years ago. And, I, and again, I had a YouTube channel just for cost efficiency because we teach home exercises at our, at our office. And we give them homework sheets, but I wanted them to have visuals. So I recorded myself doing like some of the rehab exercises. YouTube was a free platform. So I would link to that YouTube channel. So, I mean, I had one from 2012 where I was kind of ahead of the curve on that, but the views were only coming from our patients. And we have you mm-hmm. know 25,000 now, but back then we didn't. And, um, 
but I mocked people. They were like, oh, YouTuber, that's a job. And even my, so, so my wife really helped me open my eyes. She was a social media influencer, one of the first ones. You know, she had a million followers on Instagram like seven, six, seven years ago. And uh, she really opened my, my boomer eyes in a way um, to the attention that's put on social media and what you can do with it and make money. And, and the universe is funny. Anything I feel like you make fun of, you end up having that opportunity come to you. Mm. Like there's definitely been clients that I like sort of talk shit in a roundabout way about. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a phone call from them. <laughs> and I'm like, what an opportunity. What the hell universe? Like you just, you just trying to make me look like an ass at all times. So YouTube is another one. I used to be like, get a real job, bums, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but, but I'm, I'm one that's really willing to have my mind changed. Uh, I'm skeptical of everything and willing to have my mind changed by anything. Mm. Um, so, you know, we posted some stuff on Instagram and whatever was going on, whether it's the pimple popping, neck cracking, uh, you know, I've been working with fighters for a while and sponsoring them to help grow my social media. Cause that's, you know, a much more efficient way to market than advertising for a small business. You know, if I have, Diego Sanchez with 100,000 followers promote me for three posts. I'm reaching 100,000 people who are actually believe in mm-hmm. him versus me reaching 100,000 people selling radio ads, right? Like it was a much mm-hmm. more cost-effective way for me to do that, you know, sponsoring four treatments at $70 a pop, right? And it's a write-off. Um, mm-hmm. So I was already sort of doing that to grow my Instagram. So I had already had a decent following, you know, maybe 80, 100,000 followers, um, which was good for driving traffic to my website. Um, but those, those crack videos went super viral, 500,000, a million views. And I'm like, wait a second. So then I threw them up on YouTube and same thing. I got a million views, you know, 12, 1.2 million views this is like three, maybe four years ago. Mm. And then I realized you could turn the money on, right? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> You're like, wow. <laughs> wait a second here, you know? And so, you know, uh, same old thing, right? You use the scientific method. You have a theory, you test it, you see if it's reproducible. Mm-hmm. What works, you keep doing until it doesn't work anymore. What doesn't work, you throw away. And uh, that's basically what we've done with our YouTube over time. And then just trying to figure out the algorithms, the formulas, and ways to make our content stay fresh and relevant, which isn't easy to do. But, you know, it's been very, very fruitful. I think, you know, in three years, we've made about a million dollars in ad revenue mm-hmm. just from YouTube and probably mm-hmm. something similar from Facebook. You know, the government took 40% of that, of course. But, you know, since I already have my revenue from my businesses, I was able to take all that money and invest it. So last year when the stock market crashed with, with COVID, I was able to put, you know, several hundred thousand dollars into the stocks and, and double or triple almost all of that wow. money, That's you amazing. know, because you knew that like infrastructure stocks were going to come back up, airlines, yeah, for sure. everything that crashed with COVID, right? And same thing with crypto about a, you know, a year and a half ago. I've been able to probably get like eight times over my return on on crypto in that amount of time. And all that money was from YouTube. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to take from my normal life expenses where I'm just using my, my clinic money to pay for my, my mortgage and, you know, all that other stuff. So it, like I said, exponential blessing, you know, as far as transforming my wealth and, uh, you know, setting me up for a much earlier retirement if I want to take it. Absolutely. So you mentioned uh, investing in the market. Now, were you investing in the market before 2020 and COVID and, and whatnot? Or were you maybe in an inner circle of people telling you like, yo, you need to invest right now. Take your money and invest right now. What was it? No, man, almost everything for me is either is, is primarily self-taught. So my uncle mm-hmm. is a stockbroker. And um, I remember in 08, I was in school and like I knew the market when it crashed, it was going to come back. And like, I just didn't have any money, you know. When I started this business in 2012, I, I had previously worked for a corporation. I made good money there. I paid off all my student loan debt. You know, I had about 30000 in savings at the time. But when you're unemployed for six months, that 30000 mm-hmm. when there's no money coming in, it goes away fast. And uh, I was having some health problems. And so I had to start a business to, to be able to pay my, my apartment rent. Mm-hmm. And so I just started driving around to people's houses with my, my table in the back of my car because they had seen me on Facebook from before you know, for 40 bucks, just driving around the city to people's places, Um, just making enough money to feed myself and pay my rent. And, um, you know, luckily Mm -hmm. I had a family friend that owned an office building in in the hood, man, like a re it's called the war zone in Albuquerque. It's it's not a a great area, but uh, he owned the building and he was willing to front me the first couple of months because I just didn't have the money for it. You know, I bought a, a used table off of eBay and, uh, you know, I knew a guy that had a stroke and I bought his office furniture for pretty cheap. Mm. And, uh, I built my own website on Wix and built mm. in the, the scheduling integration. Cause I couldn't afford a front desk person or, you know, somebody to answer phones. And I wasn't going to take a business loan. I wasn't going to go into debt mm. um, for this. And, uh, so I just, you know, just started working that way and using Instagram when it came out and, 
those other social media platforms to work with people. And I had worked with UFC fighters in the past, which opened the doors for me to have the Jackson Wing guys, Diego Sanchez, you know, Tim Kennedy, all those guys reach out to me and my treatment, you know, was more efficient for them than other people. And mm-hmm. so they really started coming. There was, I mean, there was a time where almost all my clients were those UFC fighters, but wow. they really helped me to build my, my clientele with regular people because they That's saw awesome. me working with high level athletes. And so, you know, that was 2013 roughly. And, uh, you know, we, we easily grossed 1.4 million this year. And uh, I have 17, you know, 17 providers that work for me. We're opening our mm. fourth location now. And so, you know, they say most businesses fail within three years, but we're, we're thriving. And, you know, the more wow. time goes on, the more, the more exponential growth is. And, you know, for us, it's like pay your people. We pay our staff 70% of our revenue. And mm. so, you know, it, you know, people always say the customer's always right. No, I think, I think your staff is always right. Like you need to take care of your team because they help yeah. take care of you. Yeah. If you do that, you keep your team, you keep them happy, you know, pay them. Around. Yeah. Give them freedom. Don't, don't berate them, make them feel like they're partners in the, in the process and everybody will win. They'll make more money. Mm. You'll make more money. Uh, they'll be happy. You'll be happy. And uh, that's sort of been my, my, modus operandi for this this practice and over you know nine years we still haven't lost any providers yet um because we we take pride in taking care of our team without our team there is no team right it's just me and i can't Mm. do everything no that that shows that you're a true leader that's what i see is leadership right there um i love that so what are what are some of the stock plays and some cryptos that you invested in and obviously you don't have to tell us the numbers, but what are some of your favorites out there that you love investing in? Um, is there anything new on the horizon that you're looking to, to get into? Uh, let us know about that. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I, I've got a good amount of good amount of money in like S and P funds, obviously like, mm-hmm. you know, tried and true, you're getting five to 10% on those. That's kind of the long-term play. And a lot of those are, are set sort of things like that to get you out of paying taxes currently. So mm-hmm. that's where I put a lot of that stable growth money uh, with the pandemic, I went really hard on like Hilton, on American Airlines, on Exxon, on Chevron, um, you know, blue bloods that were in the mm-hmm. toilet. I, I got I got Exxon at 31 and it's sitting at 63 right now, you know, wow. you know, so it's it's doubled. Plus, it's paying two percent dividends on it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crazy. You know, I, I flipped a lot of those other ones. I think were, I think uh, American was at seven and uh, I sold it at 21, you know big pot shot numbers too. So I had to pay a bunch of short-term capital gains, yeah, but it's, yeah. you know, it, it was, to me, it was free money. Like yeah. they all collapsed, the computer sold everything off. You knew the government was going to step in just like they did in 08 and, and save these companies because we can't have the airline industry fail. And after mm-hmm. 2001 also. So for me, that was a free half a million dollars to, to pull off right there. Um, so then it's like, all right, how do you reinvest it? What do you do with it to, to not pay as much taxes as you want? Um, and then like with my crypto stuff, like, uh, I have a lot of, a lot of Ethereum, a lot of Bitcoin, you know, I try to keep at least 60% of that, you know, cause I think those are going to triple or quadruple at least over five years. I could be wrong. I mean, it's always a gamble, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but the infrastructures look good. And then, you know, I have my play money where I'll, you know, I'll put a couple hundred grand in Shiba and, mm-hmm. you know, hold it there and just keep, keep alerts on. And if it jumps up, then I'll sell it off and I'll stick it, you know, something else. So that that's gambling money. You know, that's yeah. like, it's literally gambling, you know, uh, luckily, yeah, luckily I'm, I'm, I've been pretty fruitful on that because, you know, generally speaking, all the markets are up. So I think it says less about my investing ability as opposed to just all cryptos continue to go up, right. you know, right, right, right. right. I you love it. Like, oh, look that. at how good I did knowing, <laughs> you know, listen, dog, like if you put equally across everything, you would have made more than you did making your day trades. <laughs> so. I, I think there's like this meme out there where like, I forgot what it is, but some kid, he, he puts in like $10 and he makes $15 and he thinks he's a genius. Or yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. on a yacht. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, but uh, yeah, luckily, I'm curious. Luckily, I, I had money for my brick and mortar businesses where I had extra money to invest in, in gamble on that. That's what we're mm-hmm. talking about getting your second, third million. Once you, once it's not your life money, if you got 2 million in the bank, you can take another 300 grand and gamble it essentially in something that's going to have a high reward because you still mm-hmm. have 1.7 million. What's hard is if you only have 70,000 in the bank, you can't take yeah, half yeah. the money and go throw it into something and risk losing it because you got bills coming up that you don't know if you can pay. So yeah, that's nice. that's what wealthy are able to do. It's not that they're that much better in the future. It's that they have more money. It's like playing poker, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you have all the pile, you can just keep going all in until you push the other guy out because he can't go all in. It's not that you're mm-hmm. a better card player. You can just push in more than they can. 
And inevitably, if you run the data, like you're going to win more on average eventually. So um, that's why it's so important to save and save and save and, you know, really get that nest egg up early on and live a really humble and, and frugal lifestyle early on. That way you can take when those opportunities like COVID or 9-11 or 2008 happen, mm -hmm. you have liquid capital that you can make, you know, ha have you make you money and mm -hmm. really turn the corner in your life to where you don't have to work so much on the nine to five and you have residual revenue coming in. And yeah. you know, if you have your, say you have your ether, say you have 3 million in ether stakes right now, you're getting 4.5% on that. Like crazy. that's crazy income, man. Yeah, crazy. Um, how do you feel about the, the whole metaverse NFT talk right now. Um, I know you're a busy man. Are you even paying attention to it? Um, what are your thoughts on it? I know, like I said, you got a lot of influencers coming in. They're probably sure. talking about it and whatnot. How do you feel yeah. about that whole space and whatnot? I'm keeping an eye on it. I haven't bought any NFTs yet. I mean, I think, I think the logic is very sound, you know, that you have a, a proof of something. My concern is how diluted is the market going to get since anybody can, I mean, crypto is the same thing, right? There's a new shitcoin being made every single day. Every and day. if everybody's dumping money into those, hoping to break it big and get rich, how does it dilute the, the, the big players? And that's, that's my only concern with a, a non-limited amount. So you could say the Bitcoin has a limited amount, but that's sort of true, but not necessarily true because people are dumping money into every brand new coin. So the NFT space you know, it, it might have less growth than we think it does because of that said reason. The metaverse is interesting because I think the idea of owning parts of the internet or, or digital land or real estate mm -hmm. is super interesting and actually kind of makes a lot of sense. The question is, is what's, what's it going to be? Because obviously a singular mm -hmm. company can't own something. It has to be open source, you know, so it can't be meta. It can't be Google. Like it can't just be one thing. That'll never work. My other concern is like with the, the digital interfacing, my hunch is that you'll see like two groups of people. Like I'm not ever going to be somebody that's got headphones on. I think the older you get, the more vulnerable to like vertigo and stuff you are anyway. Like video games mm -hmm. now make me cautious. Like I think my body just doesn't handle it like it did when I was mm -hmm. younger. That's interesting. Right? Like I literally get nauseous playing video games. Like I want to, but I, I just, you know, the grays, the grays aren't on accident, man. I'm not 18, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I wonder how many people, because we've been trying to do virtual. I remember I bought a virtual boy in like 1995. So the virtual what? stuff has been a virtual boy. It was like a Game Boy, but it had okay. like goggles and you could see like red and whatever 3D space. Mm. Interesting. So you'll hear people that are proponents of stuff like the iPhone or the internet. And they'll be like, look, everybody poo-pooed it. And look how good it was. And again, you, this, is a, this is a confirmation bias. For every idea that went big like that, how many failed? 99? Right. So this could be that, you know, if you got spare money, I think it's probably a good idea to throw a little bit in because you don't want to miss out if it goes big, right? It's like mm -hmm. Tesla or Facebook stock, right? People poo-pooed them, you know, but if you threw a few bucks in, you would have had a nice return. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I think there's still a lot to be said about real estate. I think there's still a lot to be said about, you know, blue, blue chip stocks. I think there's still, a, a, particularly foreign stocks. I think there's a lot to be said about owning your business and your mm -hmm. own business. I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, residual incomes, whether they're ATM machines or, or apartment complexes. I mean, uh, I think diversifying and having a little bit and everything and having a backup is a good idea. So yes, I am going to put a little money in to see. I'm not optimistic and that's just my nature. I sort of am skeptical and think everything's going to fail. Um, you know, if it goes big, then I'll make a good amount of money. And if it doesn't, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming I'm not putting something in that I'm not willing to lose all of it on, right? Mm -hmm. which I wouldn't do with real estate and which I wouldn't do with, I wouldn't be willing to lose hundred percent of real estate. I wouldn't be willing to lose hundred percent of my business or my, my income sources. Um, so that's, you know, that if it goes wrong, then you got to work a few more extra years. If it goes right, you could be, you could be retired, you know, soon. So mm -hmm. I think the fundamentals are sound. I, I'm, I'm not still yet convinced that it, you know, it might be a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, and I don't have any stake in either of them. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. Michael Saylor or uh, Peter Schiff or, you know, this is my shtick. You know, I think they're both right a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think the idea of NFT is good. My hunch is just like everything that has a good idea, people will blow it out of proportion and you'll see a fallout. That's just my guess. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Like, I think we're, we haven't even scratched the surface of what this can, can potentially be. And I, honestly, I don't even know if there's anybody out there that fully understands what the metaverse is can be like you said it's kind of blown out of proportion there's a lot of hype right now people are making money on it that's great um but i feel like we we don't even know what this could really be and i'd love that you brought up the um 
like the health uh, side of it as well, because that's something I'm concerned about. Um, you know, what what is this going to do for our society? That's what I, I'm looking at. You know, if you could, we don't have to get too deep into it, but if you could make your own world and your own life somewhere else digitally, why why would I want to live? Why would I want to go outside? <laughs> Right. You know, I, I'm a, I can be the man, you know, in, in the metaverse, you know, why would I want to go out? So that's something I'm, I'm curious about. That's something I'm always exploring and seeing how they're going to na- navigate that. So that, it should be really interesting. Well, I think, you know, evolutionarily, we're designed to physically work. And I think you're designed mm-hmm. to go outside and, exactly. and there's a board system in your brain for, for doing manual labor, whether it's working out or putting up a fence, there's a sense exactly. of accomplishment when you physically do something. And I think even our modern world right now, most most people in a wealthy country are not getting that. And I think I think a lot of depression and, and unsatisfaction mm-hmm. with themselves um, mm-hmm. comes from that lack of being able to physically go outside and breathe fresh air and put up a fence or dig a hole or you know something like that. So we're already doing that with you know sitting in offices and sending emails all day and mm-hmm. you know not going out in the sun until it's dark outside. And you know my concern, of course, is I think there's a lot of health implications. I mean, look at obesity in this country look at people's happiness, even though they're better off than they've ever been. This is the best time there's ever been to live in the history of humanity. Like mm, the global yeah. poverty levels at an all-time low, your access to clean drinking water, to information, it's at an all-time high and people's happiness is at an all-time low. So mm. when I look at That's virtual world, I think it's even uh, an exponential growth on that too. I think people will be incredibly unfulfilled. Um, and again, at the end of the day, we do need people in the real world to make sure the electricity works and the, the pipes mm-hmm. work people to drive the trucks. I mean, these are the real people that make America run. Um, you know, people like me and you might be able to invest and, and, you know, get the fruits of the labor, but these people are the real heroes without them, yeah. nothing works. So unless we can create a robot army, which, you know, you, there's a lot of questions about that too. Like we still need people to be able to put, you know, pave the road and to make sure your, your heating works and to make sure the electric electrical grid runs. And so if we're all just sitting here with this thing on our face, make, you know, collecting digital coins, um, who's going to pick the fruit? Who's going to, you know, there, there's a lot of real world necessities. Like we still have physical, tangible needs. We need physical touch. We need community time, we need food. We need exercise. Uh, we are physical beings. You can't just stimulate your brain only. Like you don't want to be a lunk and not have any mental stimulation either, but mm-hmm. there's still something to be said about picking up a good book and, and sitting there physically touching the pages sure. and looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. and obviously I'm online too, right? But I think same thing with everything. Too much of anything is not a good thing. You have to find a balance. I love that. I love that. Um, so we can start wrapping this thing up. You know, something I'm curious about and you kind of briefly talked about is people at home working from home a lot now, um, sitting on their computers like myself, you know, I'm at a desk. Um, what are some best practices for people at home to take care of their physical health? Uh, maybe, you know, what are some ways we can keep ourselves at the doctor? out the doctor's office, right? Um, yeah. I'm curious, what are your, your thoughts? Obviously, there's, there's a lot that you can get into a can of worms here, but what sure. are some like some general ones for the for the community out there? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is going to sound dumb because it's like me saying water is wet, but take take 20 to 30 minutes and walk outside while not looking at your phone. If you want to mm. throw podcast headphones and that's fine too, but like let your eyes be aware of your surroundings, look at the beauty of the world, look at grass, look at dogs, like get outside I mean, I think people need to disconnect for at least 30 to 45 minutes a day, even if you're driving in your car. Some people will tell you it's the optimal time to listen to audiobooks, and I definitely see that as as a a benefit most of the time. But sometimes just turn your radio off and just be in the moment. I think that'll really help. Like I said, I'm a proponent of you know prayer, meditation, mm-hmm. just just being yourself, sitting in a dark room, sitting in a room without the you know without any stimulation on. Mm-hmm. It's a good switch up from all the stimulation in our lives. Walking is one of the best things you can do. I would tell you, go try to go for a 10 minute walk after every meal. It'll help your digestion. It'll help your circulation. And that's enough to keep your cardiovascular health down. You don't have to run. Running is great. Uh, for those that don't want to run, cool. Uh, running was probably a little better, but a, a minimum. You're designed to walk. Humans are designed to walk. Walked all the way out of Africa, all over the world. We're designed mm-hmm. to walk. We're designed to work. Um, and we need that for our soul, you know, for our stimulation. You know, try to eat as much real food as you can, right? Um, you know, if it came off of a tree or out of the ground or off of an animal, that's real food. If it comes out of a package, it's not. So, you know, the more you can limit that, the better off you're going to be. Keep the BMI down, you know, including Mm -hmm. muscle. So you don't always have to lift the most amount of weights, but also you should do some resistance. 
you could tie bands onto your doors in your house just to get some stimulation mm-hmm. muscles. Um, and then, you know, something like a lacrosse ball or a foam roller to give yourself self-myofascial release. Spend 10 minutes a day doing that and you'll feel a lot better. I think if you just do, like I said, water is wet, right? But if you mm-hmm. could just really break it down into those like four or five components and, and dedicate 20 minutes of each of those at some point, I know that's not possible for everybody that's got five kids, works 10 hour days. But if you can just find, you know, one day for each of those, I think you're going to really slow down the deterioration of your physical and mental well-being. And if you're broken down physically and mentally, you can't be the best you can for your family or for your employees mm-hmm. or for anybody else. And so all the money I, I, in the world doesn't, doesn't protect you from that. No, for sure. And I love what you said about disconnecting. Something practical that I do is at night, after a long day, usually two hours before I go to sleep, the phone is off. I'm either spending time with my wife or I'm just reading a book or just being in the moment. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, something I've also been doing at the gym is no music, no nothing. Right. I'm trying to get to a point where um, I can talk my, I don't need outside more motivation or, you know, anything to, to get me going, but getting to a point where I get myself going and just being in the present moment, you know what I'm saying? So I've been doing that a lot lately. So it's been challenging, but um, those are two practical things that I do that maybe you guys can do as well, for sure. And what you said is interesting too, because I think there are phases for each of that, right? Like mm-hmm. there, the reason why self-help books don't help most people is they never move past that phase. So oh, yeah. for me, yeah. they were super beneficial sales books. I mean, Zig Ziglar, I mean, all the classics when I started out, but again, they're like saying water is wet. What you need to do is wire your brain to where you know those things intrinsically to where you don't need the constant motivation. People are addicted to the dopamine of self-help, but they don't That's actually make fundamental changes in themselves. You and I have gotten to the point where we don't necessarily need that stuff anymore. We did at the beginning, probably. Mm-hmm. It was super useful to help create our mindset about how we look at things. And they can be super beneficial. But at a certain point, it's just redundant anymore. I don't, I don't need that. Now it's time 100%. to sit and be still and just enjoy the beauty of the world and be with your own thoughts and be quiet in your head and say, are these the things I really want to do? Does this really make my life better or worse? And, uh, you know, you're the one actually doling out the motivation eventually. Mm, I love that. I love that. And just real quick, you know, for me in the beginning, you know, someone that changed my mindset was uh, Eric Thomas, ET, the hip hop preacher. You know yep. who he is? Yep. So when I was 17, I heard his speech. And like you said, he played a huge role in shaping my mindset and the way I think now. But like you said, it gets to a point where you've heard, you basically heard it all. It's time for you to act on what he's saying and do what he's saying, right? And it's cool to revisit it here and there, but I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, uh, one other thing, I had I had a question. So um, you said when you met your wife at the time, it was just a friend. You treated her for a headache that she that she had for a while, um, and she, obviously she became your wife. Talk to us about that process. How did you treat somebody for a headache? Because I know that's somebody that that's something that a lot of people deal with. For me, whenever I have a headache, I, I just chug water, man. I just it helps yeah. me out, and that's it. Water helps most people, man. People do yeah. not drink water. Um, you know, a lot of headaches come from neck tension, so the neck muscles pulling mm-hmm. on the skull and they refer up into the head. So right. it was funny yeah. because, um, you know, we had actually she again she was probably the biggest social media, like numerically in Albuquerque at the time. You know, did you than, know? Uh, I, I that day I like I looked her up because she mm-hmm. had sent an email and was like trying to get into a bunch of different places. And I just happened to have a spot. My my assistant knew who she was. Um, mm. I didn't necessarily, but I looked her up and I saw how many followers she had. I'm like, okay, let's let's sponsor her, right? Mm-hmm. So we were gonna you know post her picture on the wall like we do our other athletes, and you know I treated her once, but then my assistant charged her full price. <laughs> uh, you know, and she was better after that, so she was fixed, so she never came back. But I, you know, I typically, like I said, what I've been doing is that I've been saying, hey, we'll comp your treatment, give us a shout out on social media, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had followed her on Instagram for that reason, because I was going to try to get her to sign a picture or something like that. So like three or four months go by and like, I'm like, damn, I want the picture on the wall. Like, right, you know, right. so I, like I, I, I DM her. I'm like, hey, would you mind signing a picture to put on the wall? And she was like, yeah, cool. Uh, so she started following me back. And then we just started like interacting on social media. I was like in like October, maybe I treated her one time. And then in like January, February, we were like, you know, liking each other's posts and, and mm-hmm. all this stuff. She was about to move to Miami, apparently. I didn't know this. She was going to move with her wow. with her, her roommate. And then she ended up staying because she she thought she might have a, that I might be something interesting. And so, you know, I asked her mm-hmm. out on a date and then it was crazy because like 
we went to go eat at this place and our mom walks by and like i thought it was like a it, it happened to just be pure chance her mom was out salsa dancing you know my wife's panamanian and mm-hmm. uh and they just happened to be the same place and i'm like oh yeah i'm sure that was an accident it actually was um uh, so yeah we you know went on a few dates and one thing became another i asked her to be my girlfriend and uh you know eight years later we're married crazy the dms it goes down to the dms <laughs> you know <laughs> oh but you it's know. also you you never know and it's also crazy how one decision can make your whole life can now i don't want to say make or break it but it could yeah. uh have a huge impact on your life is what i'm saying if you would have never brought her in that slot you know obviously you guys would probably not be here right now right so right. it's crazy how that one decision could, could change everything for you um but she you last- know she she films all my videos now she edits them she runs my facebook page so blessing. you know <laughs> it was a blessing that's a blessing yeah right absolutely there. like for both of us obviously you know so yeah yeah I'm a okay Absolutely. So, so one last question that we'll, we, we always ask our guests is we always ask our guests, who was one person that needs to be on the Latin wealth podcast? Now I know you, lo- I know, you know, a lot of people, um, the only rule is you got to be able to contact them and connect us with them. That's the only rule. <laughs> okay. Why? And if, if you need to think about it, we can we can reconnect after it's all good. Yeah, if you don't have it. It. yeah, yeah. Think about it. Let us know. Uh, we would love to to have that person on the the Latin Wealth okay. podcast. Most of the people I'm thinking about are like, eh, they might have made some, <laughs> but I don't I don't like what they do with their money. <laughs> hey, wh- wh- uh, whoever you want us to have on, let us okay. know. Yeah, it's all I'll, good. I'll get back yeah. To you. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, with that being said, you know, thank you for jumping on this podcast. I'm gonna be honest, I could probably talk to you for like two or three more hours about a bunch of stuff. But uh, I appreciate your time, seriously. And thank you for everything that you you spoke about. Where can people reach out to you if they don't already know about you, if they've been living under a rock? Where can people, you know, consume some of your content and contact you maybe if they're in the area? Yeah, just uh, just my name, Dr. Bro Hightower. You can find me on everything. Um all the platforms. So I appreciate everybody that, that shows me love and, and watches our videos and, and everything like that. And uh, like I said, I'm not, I don't need people to, you know, join my channel or buy merch. Or whatever. <laughs> I'm just grateful that, uh, that they take some time out of their day to watch our content. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, with that being said, it's your boy, Chris, and I'll catch you guys next week. Peace. 